This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome to Women at Work. I'm Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and I'm thrilled to bring you another installment of our special series done in collaboration with Reframe, a partnership between the Sundance Institute and WIF Los Angeles. Reframe Voices of Change is a collection of interviews with organizational leaders, activists, artists, and directors, and considers the essential relationship between who our media makers are and the content that we all consume. We hope you'll join us in celebrating the creativity, wisdom, and tenacity of these women, and that it will inspire you to raise up your own voice in the process. In this interview, I speak with the executive director of WIF Los Angeles, Kirsten Schaefer. The film industry is indeed an industry, mm-hmm. and yet we don't, we don't often hear, at least for those of us who are outside of it, about the degree to which the gig economy is part of this. Mm-hmm. And as I hear about the instances of sexual harassment, mm-hmm. um, the places where people are made vulnerable, um, the challenges that women directors have or women producers in, fi- in finding work, it seems like um, that fluid nature of finding work also creates a lot of vulnerability and a lot of opportunity for bad behavior. Is, is this tracking? Yeah, so this is an issue that um, the, the Producers Guild is really taking on and the Hollywood Commission has said that they are also going to take on, um, is looking at all of the things that happen more in the, um, what you refer to as a gig economy, what also gets referred to as the sort of the independent space or outside of the studio system where um, you're often working with small companies where there might not be um, a clear sort of uh, HR department um, and where people are, um, in and out, right? So it's harder to track behavior as well, right? So somebody works for one company for three months and then another company and they're not talking to each other so they don't know what, you know, how he behaved on one set. Um, There's no sort of consistency uh, around all of that. Yeah, and it also seems similar to Silicon Valley in a way. Right. You know, the other thing I would say too um, is that we've seen that um, the most vulnerable people are the ones you have survived the the worst kinds of harassment and abuse, right? So it's actresses on their way up, um, PAs, um, you're, like you're suggesting, like people who um, are trying to sort of establish their careers and their, their livelihood um, are often the most vulnerable. You brought up earlier that this isn't just an issue for women, but also women of color, the issue of intersectionality. And then there's the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, how is women in film Um, helping address the particular challenges of intersectionality for the people that you serve? So Women in Film has um, made a couple of um, sort of organizational commitments and priorities in the last few years. So one is um, three years ago, the board voted that 50% of our board had to be women of color. Um, When we are selecting fellows for our programs, um, the team, um, there's no like set number, but the when we select the fellows, they're often all women of color, frankly, because um, our staff are, are mostly women of color. And so that affects you know, what the priorities are within the organization. So um, let me see if I can reflect back and if I can capture this, because this is really cool. So you start 
by making sure you have a diverse slate of the people that you're bringing into the organization. Correct. And by doing that, do you find that the organization is naturally a byproduct of that more inclusive, or is it that it carries a tone that sets, that's set at the top that's then able to reverberate because um, it, it resonates with this diverse community that you're building? I would say it's happening um, from the top, from the board, and, and from the staff, right? So it's sort of meeting in the middle. So I have a board that's prioritized it and I have a staff that's prioritized it. And between the two, we're bringing in more women of color to all of the programs. We had a short screening the other night and I looked up on stage and um, uh, nine out of 10 of the directors are women of color. We have three panels that's here amazing. at Sundance. Um, the majority of the women are women of color. It's, it's who's in our world. And so it's who we are, who we go to for the public programs. Okay, I want to back up a second and get really tactical sure. for a minute. Because one of my pet peeves is you go to um, a conference and there's a panel and it's all white men. And you go into a boardroom, it's all white men. Um, and when you talk to either the people assembling the conference or the people compiling the board, they're like, well, those were the best. That, that's who's out there. We know that that's not true. Um, the challenge seems to be in how, from the moment that they say we want to bring people in, what kind of commitment and effort they're making to find talent that isn't obvious to them. How are you guys finding this diverse slate of talent? You know, when I started my career, the woman who was my mentor, um, who happens to be a Sundance senior programmer, um, really pushed me on this and she was like you just have to look harder you have to keep looking yes looking look in different communities pull on your network pull on my network you'll find the films and that's how i learned to program out fast at you know 25 years old was to just keep digging and i found incredible talent so there is no shortage of talent. there is no shortage of talent it just seems like there's a real shortage of commitment to finding it and to bringing it out of a woodwork and recognizing that we're in a system that doesn't naturally propel it. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes it's, um, I find it's about, uh, you know, asking ourselves what that yardstick is, like what the measurement tool is, um, and expanding our ideas about the, the measurement tool. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Tell me a little bit more. Give me a situation where you may have put that into practice. So when we put together the Reframe Rise um, filmmakers, we um, you know we we set a criteria of who we were looking for. So we were looking for for filmmakers who were you know mid career, who had unique voices, um, who you know we we weren't seeing everywhere, um, and that resulted in eight women of color. That's okay. So back up for a second. What's Reframe Rise? Right. Uh, Reframe Rise is a program that um, it, it's a, a subset of a larger program we run called Reframe. And Reframe is a collaboration between women in film, Sundance Institute, and 75 ambassadors who are working to really get into the studios and networks and to sort of the heart of the entertainment industry and bring the industry tools to use to, um, that will result in gender parity. Okay, so um, backing up, the way that you approached Reframe Rise and identifying who you would work with, one of the criteria that you included on your yardstick was that they are mid-career but underrepresented. Correct. So right there, if they didn't fit both of those categories, you weren't considering them. Right. And so by making it a core requirement, 
you found plenty of talent. We found plenty of talent. And when you're bringing underrepresented talent in, now granted within women in film, it's clear that as an organization, you are diverse, you are inclusive. Part of what I gather you're trying to do is to help propel these filmmakers um, using the amplification that you can provide and mm -hmm. the support that you can provide so that they go into an industry where that doesn't necessarily exist to the same degree. How do you equip them um, for the parts of what they're going to do after your hands are off? Well, first of all, our hands are never off. So um, when people come through the Women in Film programs, whether it's a men mentoring program or Insight, which is our program that supports women of color, or one of our labs or workshops, um, we will stick with them um, for as long as they need us. So we're, we are a con we're a constant reference. So, so we're hoping that what happens when they come through our programs is they get a, you know, an agent, a manager, a publicist, and they're on their way. But then when they make the film or the TV show, then they you know, come back to Women in Film to help get that, that film out in the world. They come back to us to get a reframe stamp, which is another um, program of, of reframe. And so that they can also, ca and what does that reframe stamp represent? So the reframe, so the reframe stamp for gender balance production, it means that um, there's, there are women working in front of and behind the camera and also ideally women of color um, in a lot of those key roles. You are so, um, it, it, it's wonderful to hear the way that you see the big picture and understand its nuances. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to learn a little bit about how you learned to be this kind of leader. What did you learn while you were at Outfest? And mm -hmm. how did you round out your own education so that you could come and be so inclusive and so strategic in such an intertwined way? I mean, if I had to go all the way back, like it starts with my early education. Like Tell me more. we had, um, like I, I went to public school right outside of Washington D.C. in a in a diverse community, um, and we had Sensitivity Awareness Day at school, where you talked about difference and what that looked like and how you respect each other. I mean, this is the '80s, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I feel like that's been my path ever since. So that's part of how your real worldview is shaped. Yes, from 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 early on, but it's and I have a constantly worked on it. Um, you know, I went to a university where you took classes in understanding white privilege. Um, you know, in the '90s, um, and and I've continued to sort of um, work on um, the language, the issues as culture changes, um, both trying to lead that culture and also understand the ways that it's changing. Kirsten, I have to tell you, of all of the leaders that I've talked to. Nobody's put it that way. And I think what you just said is really important, that it says to me that you see this as an ongoing process of personal development. It's a lifetime process. I think understanding bias, uh, understanding unconscious bias, understanding um, the different sort of uh, privileges that, that each of us occupy, whether that's about race or class or gender or ability, um, and, and knowing how um, we function in the world because of that, that is, that is a, a lifelong learning process. Um, inherent in that is a humility, an openness to learning and a compassion that drives it. How do you translate that to the communities that you lead? 
by example. I think you just you, you just live it, right? It's interesting. We we're doing this whole rebrand process at Women in Film, and one of the things that they so they did a lot of interviews with our stakeholders, and one of the things that they sourced it for us is that we are doing the work more than we're talking about the work we're doing. And so they the recommendation to us was that we need to be calling it out more. And I was like, oh my god, that's so me. Like I'm <laughs> I'm like I, you do the work, you get it right, and then you acknowledge the the you know the successes that you have <laughs> this may be a coincidence or not but it's also a very typically female thing is that women are often conditioned to do the work and not toot our own horns right um yet at the same time how are we gonna celebrate each other if we don't right. and you know help establish this as the new norm right i mean the other thing that i try to do is really i to lead with compassion um to be kind um, you know, to, to always be thinking and, and challenging my, myself and also challenging our staff. Um, but it's an industry that can be brutal, mm-hmm. right? The film industry can be brutal. And so coming at it from a place of kindness um, is, I, I think, sort of unique, unfortunately <laughs> unique. Speaking of a brutal industry, and also that any leadership role requires strategic mm-hmm. thinking, a range of skills. Um, and it's amazing that you bring this humility, commitment to learning, and compassion to it. How did you learn the business aspects of being a leader and the strategic yeah, that, thinking? That's a good, that's a because good question. Because the, it's the two together that's making what you're doing so, I think, powerful and effective. Um, I, when I first, so I was a programmer, which is um, essentially a curator, right? So I spent 15 years of, of my career selecting films for festivals. And, and particularly for Outfest, and, right? And lar- yes, largely for Outfest. Um, and when I shifted into the executive director role, um, it was the first time I had ever done that. And so um, I took a bunch of new executive director trainings. One of the best ones was actually at Harvard Business School. Um, and I learned a lot more about marketing and strategy. And Did you ask and seek that out or did somebody recommend that you do that? I saw that a colleague had done it and I was like, oh, that's cool. I want to do that. And so then I did it. I would also say I've had some really incredible mentors. And this goes back to the, the conversation about um, diversity and inclusion. Um, who and I, and I referenced Shari earlier in talking about you know how I found talent and I and she really has been instrumental in um, helping you know me develop how I see the world. As you think about say the next two to three years for women in film, mm-hmm. how do you pace the rate of change, what you want to see happen, and what you think is doable, and and go from idea to we're making this happen. So we, you know, we have a strategic plan at Women in Film, um, but as opportunities arise, uh, sometimes that we just have to, or, or a need, more so actually a need arises, we have to follow it. You know, I try to be mindful of um, where we can have the greatest impact. And um, I also try to be mindful of not burning our staff out. So trying to sort of strike a balance between um, the, the work we do that will have um, a big result um, and, and figure out what we say no to. Um, I want to talk about funding for a minute. Mm-hmm. There's how you find funding for an organization like this and um, who is providing funding? Yeah. Who is out there? And yeah. how do you um, tap into the people that um, share your concerns and priorities? 
Women in Film Los Angeles has um, largely been funded by corporate sponsors. We do a big gala every year and they come in to support that and that's been one of the main ways that we raise money. I have to say Max Mara, the fashion company, has been with, with us for 16 years. That's amazing. Um, they're incredibly committed to our vision and the work that we do. Um, and throughout the years we have had other big corporate sponsors that, that come in to support. Um, I've been building a development department, um, which includes um, uh, increased funding from foundations and um, and government grants, as well as um, we're now building a major gifts program and bringing in more individual donors. Um, and we've always had a robust membership program. It's, it sounds like a diversified pipeline of funding sources. It is. It is. We are building the major gifts program. Okay. So it's in sort of early stages. Of course, because um, th this is a mobilizing program and um, the clear need that's out there is only going to grow. That's true. And, and your ambitions are only going to grow. <laughs> and if there's anyone listening who wants to be a major donor. <laughs> um, so actually, what I'd like to know is for those who are listening who are inspired by what you're doing, mm -hmm and they want to find ways to mobilize their own organizations, um, whether it's through better fundraising to facilitate the projects that really matter, um, or whether it's by identifying where to put your attention. I'd love to know um, what you consider to be the core values behind how you fundraise. Mm -hmm. The core value behind uh, how we fundraise is it's, it's really about clear mission and passion and telling personal stories about why this work matters. And so once you've done that, then people come to you and, and start uh, you know, asking how they can get involved um, and, and what kind of money they can give. Okay, so if somebody was coming to you right now mm -hmm. and they said, you know what? Um, I'm independently wealthy. I made my fortune. I think this is the single most important thing that my money could go towards. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to give you the transformative gift. <laughs> the biggest gift you've ever gotten. What would you do with it? What would I do with it? Um, well, we did get a significant gift from CBS a couple of years ago, and I think that I wisely spread it out over three years so that it became a, it was the basis of a sustaining gift. And so I would do that again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I would use it to keep building. Um, we have just launched a program called Entrepreneurial Pathways, which is really taking a hard look at um, how women owned businesses are funded in the entertainment industry and figuring out ways to disrupt that and bring in new streams of funding because that really it really starts at the top when you talk about disrupting what are you disrupting we're disrupting the way that women-owned companies get financed and then ultimately the ways that films get financed and the kind of films that get financed so what are you disrupting is is it the the barriers to the women getting those that funding? Right, so right now, uh, last time we did a count, 16% um, of the overhead deals in film, so these are the deals that go to the production companies, um, were given to women. That means that 84% of the deals go to men. So the, the majority of the money in Hollywood is going to men. This is not surprising, yet still mind boggling. What is, for those of us who are not part of the industry, um, how does the money, who gives that money, and how does it get decided where it goes? So that statistic is related to the money that the studios give to production companies. There's a whole other world of money that's independent financing um, that, that 
go into independent films. Um, and that's part of what we're taking a look at. We don't know what those numbers are. Oh, okay. So that's an area where, I mean, obviously as a byproduct of Sundance and the variety of efforts that are going on to boost an independent film industry, you have independently financed projects, but yet we have no data. Uh, we don't have we we don't have we the industry don't have data on the percentage that go to women versus the percentage that, of that specifically go funding to men right and so that's what we're taking a look at and then once we have a better understanding of that um, our goal is to figure out how to bring new sources of revenue to the women the female led companies so it's a, a not unlike Silicon Valley Correct. where there's entrepreneurs and VCs, Correct. and the VCs are overwhelmingly male, right? and um, there's a whole set of biases that they bring to the table right. that limits the number of women entrepreneurs. So the theory is there's a similar dynamic happening in independent film. There's a set of financiers, some of them are the same that exist in Silicon Valley or in, on Wall Street, um, and they are predominantly men, and they are predominantly funding male-owned companies, and, and the men who own those companies are predominantly making films directed by men. <laughs> and I would guess that they're probably also telling men's stories? Yeah, although we're doing a little better on telling women's stories. The percentages of um, female leads, um, you know, sort of has been going up slowly over the last couple of years. I think we're closer to uh, maybe 34% in film and I think like 42% in television. It's still wildly underrepresented. And yeah, we're 51% of the population. Right. So yeah, we've ways to go. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind what the nature of those stories are and the characters that we get to play. Right. That's a whole other conversation. So as you're, um, while you're gathering the data on what's happening in the independent film scene, what are, how are you approaching disruption in the corporate financing and the studio financing? We're not yet. Okay. That's, That's a, a boring answer. <laughs> no, I mean, we're, we're collecting data. So we, we have we partnered with Pepperdine University and we're doing a study. We um, expect to be re releasing the study this summer. And then once the study um, comes out, we are, um, we'll start working on solutions. Um, so to answer an earlier question that you asked, one way that I manage um, the, the sort of strategy is mm -hmm. pacing things. Right. And it sounds like in the pacing of things, you're also making a really important investment in gathering data. Correct. So um, Reframe, which I've mentioned a couple times, was founded on um, the data that we gathered, Women in Film, Sundance Institute, and um, the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative at USC. Um, and once we had data about where it is that female directors fall out of the pipeline, we were able to put solutions together and launch Reframe. So Reframe is a research-based, solution-oriented program. Right, because we can't manage what we don't measure. Exactly. And so um, as how big is your are you finding partners to d gather data or are you building your own internal data gathering arm for the industry? We work with partners. So we have worked a lot with USC. Um, and now we are also working with Pepperdine. So mostly academic institutions. Um, when you how realistic do you think it is that we'll see substantial change to the industry in, say, the next 10 years? I am hopeful. I'm incredibly hopeful that we're going to see substantial change to the to the industry in the next ten years. Occasionally, 
I'll have a conversation with a woman who's been in this in a in the industry a lot longer than I have, and and she will say, well, we had, you know, there was a moment in 1984 when there were four female studio heads, or you know, like tell an anecdotal story like that, and then I get a little bit afraid. Um, and or and or no, but but another real example is um, part of why I left Outfest and came to Women in Film was because I felt like I had done, you know, I and and the community we had done so much work around LGBT representation and around LGBT issues overall that and I was seeing um, my female filmmaker friends you know, have a really hard time and I was like I, I can take the skills that I have built and learned here and bring it to this other kind of section of the industry and, and to help you know move those numbers um, you know, fast forward a few years, Trump gets elected, and um, you start to see the you know rights and safety for the LGBT community start to slip backwards, um, particularly in um, you know in the the non coastal areas mm-hmm. of the country. And so that has been a real lesson in um, you know that one step forward, two steps backward. And so we have to keep pressure on the this industry and this business to to keep changing to keep innovating to keep including women to keep including women of color to keep including men of color like we've got to keep going well circling back to something we were talking about in the beginning it's much of it is a byproduct of subconscious biases Mm -hmm. and um unfortunately those get inflamed or um light gets shed on them and they go away with time depending on what people are consuming. And I don't think it's coincidental that there was the work of Outfest for all these years and that the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage right. with uh, the American population overwhelmingly supporting it. I think it was a, a stunning example of where um, it's not just an industry that started to change. It was this industry produces the media that the rest of the world consumes exactly. and it changes our notions about who we are. So I'd like to believe that what you're doing with, it, with women in film doesn't just make an industry more balanced. It's going to have a bigger impact on everything this industry produces. It's why I do this work. I mean, I came to this as a, I came to film as an activist um, and realizing that it's the most powerful medium and the way, you know, we look up on these, these, you know, 18 foot screens and, and see human beings behaving a certain way and we start behaving that way. And so the, um, the more that we can get um, diverse and inclusive images out into the world, um, the, the more that it's gonna change in policies and politics. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.